Good morning. Welcome to worship at First Presbyterian Church of Columbus, Georgia. We're glad that you're here to join us as we worship God by offering our prayers and singing songs and listening to scripture. Please come in with us that we may worship God together. The first lesson this morning comes from 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, and then verses 6 through 14. This scripture is a true enunciation challenge as we read about Elijah and Elisha, all in the same verses. Listen to the Word of God. Now when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elijah said, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Fifty men of the company of prophets also went and stood at some distance from them as they both were standing along the water of the Jordan. Then Elijah took his mantle and rolled it up and struck the water. The water was parted to the one side and to the other until the two of them had crossed on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me what I may do for you before I am taken from you. Elisha said, Please let me inherit a double share of your spirit. Elijah responded, You have asked a hard thing. Yet, if you see me as I am taken from you, it will be granted you. If not, it will not. As they continued walking and talking, a chariot of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them, and Elijah ascended in a whirlwind into heaven. Elisha kept washing and crying out, Father, Father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. But when he could no longer see him, he grasped his own clothes and tore them in two places. He picked up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. He took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water saying, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? When he had struck the water, the water was parted to the one side and to the other, and Elisha went over. This is the word of the Lord. I invite you to stand that we may hear a reading from the book of Galatians in the New Testament from the fifth chapter, these verses. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but through love 
become slaves to one another. For the whole law is summed up in a single commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. If, however, you bite and devour one another, take care that you do not cons be consumed by one another. Live by the Spirit, I say, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. For what the flesh desires is opposed to the Spirit, and what the Spirit desires is opposed to the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to prevent you from doing what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not subject to the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Fornication, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. I am warning you, as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. By contrast, the fruits of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. The Word of the Lord. Please be seated. I'll invite you to think about a time when you left a place. Maybe it was when you were going away to school or maybe getting married. Maybe it was a time when you wanted to run away at whatever age that might have been. Or think about a time when you have moved. You have, it may have been just from one house to another or one apartment to another in the same town. It may have been across the country. You may have moved for any number of reasons. You outgrew the previous place. You needed to find a new location. You were seeking to better yourselves. You had encountered some difficulty in life. All sorts of emotions and feelings come around our times of departure and when someone departs from us. I think that is the framework for the story of Elijah and Elisha as the prophet, the older prophet, the, the, the mentor, the tutor for Elisha and a band of others was leaving, was departing, was going to depart this world. And when we are in that position, when we are the ones who has another one leaving from us, all sorts of other emotions come up as well. Maybe you can recall the time that your best friend moved away at whatever age, as a child or as an adult. Maybe a couple relocates to be close to their children, and when they do, the community that they have had changes and is transformed. It could be that someone has died and they literally have left and 
their physical presence is left, but their emotional place is still there. Any number of reasons when we are standing there and someone leaves us. And at those occasions, very often we may be like Elisha, the one who was being left. He said, not on one occasion, but on several in the reading, I will not leave you. I will not leave you. I'm going to hold on to you. Another way of hearing that is, please don't leave me. Don't leave me. I won't let you leave me. I want to be in control. And your departure is changing the way I understand the control of the world. In reality, when we stand in one place and our someone we love and trust and value is standing in another and they are leaving for whatever reason, our world is rocked. In this passage in the Old Testament, we are challenged to think about what that, what that means. The older prophet, though, left something with the younger one. He left him a mantle. It was a blessing. Now, a mantle is a cloak or a cape that can be used to cover. It also is the same word that is used in geology. There is a mantle of the earth that covers the very core of our earth. In zoology, there is a mantle in mollusk that covers the uh, part of their infrastructure, part of, the, part of their bodies that protects vulnerable things. In ornithology, it's used to describe the way that birds' feathers um, are put together on, on wings. A mantle is a covering, and this covering was a blessing that Elijah was leaving with Elisha. The covering was the blessing of God that he would be able to carry that on. And when the older prophet left, he left the mantle, and the younger one picked it up. And he wondered, what have I been left with? What is this? And he went back to the Jordan River, as his mentor had done, and he placed that cloak in the water, and the water parted. It's a story that the blessings that we share with our with those when we leave or that have been given to us when others have left us. It is a story of blessing, and those blessings open ways into new life. Even when we don't see possibilities, the river is high, and yet there is a path through it, the pathway of life and hope. There is something more for us to hear and do. There is fruit for us to find, even as we find ourselves staying put where we are. In the New Testament, Jesus spoke in a number of places about fruit and how fruit is produced and how fruit is nurtured. His parables ring with that imagery in, in a number of places. Paul 
picks that up, echoes that kind of imagery, and he talks about fruits, the fruits of the Spirit, on several different places, but probably nowhere more beautifully and more forcefully than here in these verses from Galatians. There he contrasts the fruits of the Spirit with the works of the flesh. The fruits of the Spirit are to be sought after, and the works of the flesh are to be avoided. Now, we have challenges in our lives, no doubt, for we are flesh. We have bodies, and the way we interact with the world, the way we perceive the world, the way we know the world is through our fleshly senses, our five senses, what we see and what we hear and what we smell and what we touch. Those senses are the ones that, that allow us to experience the world, to communicate with each other, to understand where we are. It is a challenge then. The works of the flesh are to be avoided and the fruits of the Spirit to be encouraged. How? How do we live with that tension? A number of years ago, there was in our country a very prominent anti-drug campaign. The phrase was, just say no. There were any number of high-profile individuals who campaigned behind that. Just say no to drugs. It's so simple. And yes, it is so simple. But it can be so hard. If we are saying no to something, then what are we saying yes to? If we say no simply to drugs, to flee, to avoid, what are we affirming? And how do we go about affirming that? Saying no is necessary, no doubt about it. We all need to learn how to say no, and not simply as a two-year-old might say no. We all need to learn how to say no to know what the limits are that we can do. Sometimes we are completely spent and we can give nothing else. And sometimes when we give that little bit of nothing that we have, we find ourselves replenished. What are we saying yes to? Say yes to life. Say yes to God. Say yes to the power of the, the fruits of the Spirit. And as we experience those fruits through our sensory receptors, our body, then something different can happen. Sometimes it's useful to hear about different, uh, to hear the same description provided in different words. And the, the version of the Scripture that, was, that has been read, both the Old Testament and the New Testament today, was translated in what is known as the New Revised Standard Version. It's a standard translation. But I want to contrast that to another way of hearing the Scripture. This comes from a, a version or a, trans, a paraphrase called The Message by Eugene Peterson. The standard translation runs, now the words, works of the flesh are obvious, and the message paraphrase begins, it is obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. Our standard translation begins, 
fornication. And the paraphrase is repetitive, loveless, cheap sex. Four words, a little more uh, descriptive, but they point to the ways in which the single word operates. Licentiousness, frenzied, joyless grabs for happiness. Idolatry, trinket gods. Sorcery, magic show religion. Enmities, paranoid loneliness. Strife, cutthroat competition. Jealousy, all-consuming yet never satisfied wants. Anger, a brutal temper. Quarrels, an impotence to love or be loved. Dissensions, divided homes and divided lives. Factions, small-minded and lopsided pursuits. Envy, the vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival. Drunkenness, uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions. Carousing, ugly parodies of community. And things like these. I could go on. I think we get the point. When we amplify those words, we get, we see new spaces that we may not have seen before. So to say no to the works of the flesh would be to say no to those things. By contrast, the fruit of the Spirit, the standard translation goes, begins. But what happens? The paraphrase asks, what happens when we live God's way? God brings gifts into our lives, much the same way that fruit appears in an orchard. Things like love, affection for others, joy, exuberance about life, peace, serenity, patience, a willingness to stick with things, kindness, a sense of compassion in the heart, generosity, a conviction that a basic holiness permeates things and people, faithfulness, and we find ourselves involved in loyal commitments. Gentleness, not needing to force our way in life. Self-control, be able to marshal and direct our energies wisely. There is no law against such things. Legalism is helpless bringing this about it only gets in the way. I hope you find that comparison illuminating, and I hope that it helps you say, think about what you will say yes to. Yes, there are times we say no. And when we say no, what are we saying yes to? Michael Weiser is a rabbi today, but in 1991, he was the cantor of a reformed Jewish synagogue in um, Lincoln, Nebraska, the South Street Temple. 
he was not from Nebraska. He moved there from North Carolina. But when he arrived, or some time after he arrived, one Sunday morning, the phone rang, and on the other end of it was a hateful and vile uh, language from someone who lived in Nebraska and in, in Lincoln. Someone who told him that he would regret having moved there. A few weeks later, the family received a box, and in the box there was all sorts of anti-Semitic and anti-black and pro-Nazi literature, along with a business card from the Ku Klux Klan. And the card read, the KKK is watching you. The rabbi contacted law enforcement, and they told him, and he learned from other sources as well, that the likely person who had sent this was Larry Trapp. He was the Grand Dragon of the White Knights of the Ku Klux Klan of Nebraska. What do you do when you receive unwanted messages? What would you do if you received really foul and, and awful pieces of mail or communication or calls like this. The rabbi wanted to talk to the person who sent them. He wasn't sure exactly what he was going to say, but he had this feeling that if he could communicate, then maybe something would happen. So the rabbi found a telephone number. This was in the days before cell phones and computers and being able to Google everything. He found a telephone number and he called. And there was an answering machine that began with a pretty foul message about his views and his role in the Ku Klux Klan. And he wondered what he should do. So over a period of weeks, he fell into a pattern or a habit of calling. He would call and he would leave a message. The messages would be things like, Larry, there's a lot of love out there. Don't you want some? It so happened that Larry, as a child, had developed diabetes. And as an adult, because of that disease, he had become disabled and was a paraplegic. And one of the messages that the rabbi left on his phone was, Larry, why do you love the Nazis so much? They would have killed you first because you're disabled. The rabbi's wife heard these, and she told her husband that to think about what, what he would really say if someone answered the phone. Not just a message, but what are you going to say if someone answers the phone? And that day came. And Larry Trapp answered the phone, and he said, Quit calling me. I don't want to hear from you anymore. And the rabbi said, I heard you were disabled. I thought you might need a ride to the grocery store. 
There was a long pause, and the reply came back, I've taken care of that. Thanks for asking. A month or so went by, and there was no phone communication, no messages either way. But then one day, the phone in the rabbi's house rang, and Larry Trapp was on the other side of that phone call, and he said, I want to get out of what I'm doing, and I don't know how. The rabbi and his wife talked about it, and they decided that day that they would go over and meet with him face-to-face. They'd never met face-to-face. They would go over and they would meet with him and they would talk to him. And their children, their teenage children, thought they were crazy. What's a rabbi going to do talking to a grand dragon of the Ku Klux Klan? And they jokingly said, well, if we haven't come back by midnight, call the police. But they went over and as they came into the apartment, a small sort of disheveled place, as they came into that apartment, Larry Trapp had two rings that had Nazi insignias on them, and he gave them to Rabbi Weiser, and he wanted him to take them away. And they began a long conversation, several hours, that went into the night. And when the couple left, they had robes and propaganda that they had been given to dispose of. Trapp's health was always poor. His father, in fact, had taken advantage of that and had um, beaten him, beaten the child. But Larry Trapp grew up in a Christian home. His father ridiculed his poor health. There were not a whole lot of places where he found acceptance. But eventually, he did in the Klan. And he began, became a mouthpiece for them and, and began a campaign of harassment, much like he did that engaged with, with the rabbi and his family. But nowhere before had there been someone to respond back. After that first night of visits and being together, things began to happen. Larry and the rabbi had conversations about what it meant. Larry's health continued to deteriorate, and when it became obvious that he could no longer sustain himself, the Jewish family decided that they were going to take him in and house him and provide him a place to sleep and a place to eat. And they did. And as they sat together and as they learned more of each other, Larry told the rabbi he wanted to convert to Judaism. The rabbi said, no, 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 you're, you're a Christian. Let me, I know, I know Christian pastors, let me have you talk to them. He said, no, 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 you are the one that came and talked to me. You are the one I need to, to, to learn from. 
And so he converted. And then about nine months after he had moved into the house, he died. His diabetes, the complications from it had become so overwhelming that there was nothing left to do, and he left. I think the behavior of Larry Trapp before he encountered the rabbi could be described as works of the flesh. A brutal temper, an impotence to love or be loved, small-minded and lopsided pursuits, a vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival. And by the same token, the ways in which the rabbi responded to this was amazing. He showed affection. He had a willingness, he and his family, he and his wife and his children, had a willingness to stick with things. They had compassion from their very heart. They could see a basic holiness where others had not. And they were able to marshal their energies wisely and directly. I think there is so much power in this story. And as Christians, we have something to learn here. Paul wrote that you will see things, works of the flesh and fruits of the Spirit, and you'll know what they look like. And in this story, in all of the accounts that I've seen of it and heard of it, I see those things. And I think that we have something to learn. We have something to learn that God can be at work in places and in ways that we cannot imagine or fathom that God's love and grace transforms other people. And Christians in First Presbyterian Church of Columbus, Georgia, and Christians around the world, we have the power and the ability to be touched by that same grace, that same love, that same goodness. It requires us to stand and to acknowledge and to live, opening ourselves with courage to the world that the Lord provides for us. May we trust God enough that we will develop and reap the fruits of the Spirit while we are here. Thanks be to God. Amen.